Welcome to the sermon podcast from North Decatur United Methodist Church, where all are welcomed and included, connected with God and with one another, and sent out in service and invitation to the world. Each week we bring you the most recent sermon from me, Patrick Fallhaber, or from guest preachers. Thank you for listening and subscribing. This week, I think, has been a hard one for a lot of reasons. Um, this week included one of the most violent periods in the um, in the West Bank since 2008. 17 people killed over two days, battling over territory that continues to be surrounded by violence. People celebrating a sacred and beautiful holiday, celebrating the new year in California, shot down dead. And it didn't happen this week, but we learned about it this week, that another black man killed in police custody. It's been a hard week. It's been a hard week. Um, <laughs> personally, these sorts of weeks are always hard for me because I find myself saying the same things over and over and over again. And I've seen that cynicism show up on social media and with friends and our conversations. There's a conversation that seems to happen and it feels cyclical. Some great injustice happens. There's an outcry from community. A bunch of leaders who claim that things need to be different, but now isn't necessarily the time. The protests start to fade away. And then we all forget that it happened until the next time another event like this or another week like this happens. Whether it's related to a mass shooting or policing or whatever the case may be, we continue to see that we live in a wounded, traumatized world. But the cynicism that comes with that, I don't think is, it's not helpful. Before the conversation even starts, assuming that there will be no resolution to it, means that there is no hope anymore. When we see trauma in our communities and immediately assume that nothing good will ever happen, it breaks the potential for trust in our society. To the point that often, even in Christian circles, right, and again, I've talked about this before, so if you're new, you'll hear this again, I'm sure, but if you've been around, I'm sorry for being repetitive, but we end up ridiculing the idea of prayer. Because thoughts and prayers aren't adequate, so if thoughts and prayers aren't adequate, we should just stop doing that and move on. You know, I'm not saying that we all do that, but I myself have said thoughts and prayers on their own do not fix the problem. But the cynical side of that pushes us towards inaction, cynicism, frustration, 
deeper alienation from the people who uh, disagree with us around major issues and things that are happening in the world. And the divisions between us create a larger gap between what is and what could be because we can't have hard conversations anymore. So, in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus, and we're, we're going to be in the Gospel of Matthew for a while, and we're actually going to be in his sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, for another couple of weeks. But in the Gospel of Matthew, to this point, Jesus has he's been born, obviously. Uh, he's uh, grown up. He's experienced incredible temptation around the power around the ideas of privilege around the idea of being able to wield god power, god's power for himself find comfort and prestige and strength and he refuses all of those things and instead what he does is he receives a baptism from some weird dude out in the countryside that happens to be his cousin and then he, he starts a ministry, and his ministry has nothing to do with circling around places of power to convince Rome to be better than what it is. He's not steeped in political conversations about what should or shouldn't happen or how the Roman policing situation should be better than it is. He's not getting riled up in conversations about how terrible the Pax Romana is and that it's not real peace unless justice comes with it. But instead what he does is he challenges the status quo by bringing peace to places where there is no peace. He walks through Capernaum in an area full of outcasts, people who have been left outside of their own homes for the, because they may bring an unclean, they might uh, make their, their spaces unclean ritually. And if they're unclean ritually, then they're outside of their religious community. So instead of finding comfort and welcome, they're cast out. And it's those people Jesus goes to. The people who aren't just outcasts in a Roman society, but are outcasts in their own religious community who have no hope, who experience the worst that society has to offer, Jesus goes to them. Not to tell them, man, I really wish things would be better for you. This sucks. He brings healing. He brings hope. And he reintroduces these people back into their families back into their communities, and he starts living in a way that radically, radically challenges the places of power. He's not fighting. He's demonstrating a new way of living. And that becomes the thing to fight about. Because he has an earnest trust that things can be better than what they are today. A kind of hope that so many of us have lost sight of. He sees the bleak, violent, war-torn reality of Rome. He sees the exile of his own people. He sees the pain of folks who've been pushed to the margins and held down by society's structures. And he starts building something new there. 
because he believes the world can be better than what it is. And the challenge that he has when he ascends to the top of the mountain to start teaching this crowd of people follow him and he starts teaching his disciples in more intimate ways, he starts to give them instruction about how to orient their lives towards this trust, towards this hope, towards this renewed sense of vision. He says, don't throw out a bunch of words. Don't throw out empty words. Man, we see a lot of empty words sometimes. Don't throw out empty words, but instead pray this way, and we say it every week before we receive communion. God, uphold the holiness of your name. You see how radically different that is. Most of us, and especially in Rome, if you ever read a letter from... (laughs) Uh, any Roman citizen to anybody in authority in Rome, the list of attributes about how amazing that person is goes on forever. Stephanie, my most uh, wonderful musician who leads all of congregations in singing and splendor and all these, it goes on like paragraphs long. Jesus says, God uphold the holiness of your name. Father, Uphold the holiness of your name. You don't need me to tell you how great you are. Your holiness exists beyond me. May your kingdom come. Not mine, not Patrick's vision of what should be right in the world, but God's vision of what is right in the world. And we have pictures about what God's kingdom is supposed to look like. It is tied into these Ten Commandments that John is sort of going through now. How do we love each other well? Well, we allow space for rest. We outright refute the idea of violence against against one another. We focus our time and our energy on the capacity of what God might bring into the world. We trust that bread and nourishment will come that we need so desperately. God's kingdom come into this world. If God's kingdom were to come into this world, we wouldn't hear about... I want to rephrase that. There is violence that we do not hear about. There would be no violence from people holding power against people crying out to just go home. Crying out for their mothers. It wouldn't exist. There would be no one starved for resources so broken that the only response that they have to ongoing violence and apartheid is to pull out a rocket launcher and fire it into an occupied territory in what used to be their home. There'd be no reason for that in God's kingdom.
in God's kingdom, people could celebrate a fresh start and a new year and a day that sacredly turns from one year to the next. They could do that without fear for their lives. In God's kingdom, none of these things could happen because we value the lives of our sisters and brothers and siblings who share life with us. God, uphold the holiness of your name. May your kingdom come and your will be done. Not my will, but God's will, because God's will brings true peace and justice. We see that in Jesus' life. He rejects power being offered to him over others and instead lives with the power of community held in sacred trust. And then the pivot happens. From focusing on who God is and how God is impacting the world to how do we interact with them. We then, through God's strength, live with trust that we will receive what we need. And when we've received abundantly to excess, we give of our excess to support a community that is in need. That is the give and take. When you have More than what you need, you give of abundance. And when you have need, you trust that your community is there to offer back. That's what life together looks like. And when we're people of God, we can hold that in sacred trust together so that we share what we have because it's God's vision and not mine. Give us this day our daily bread. No more, no less. We have what we need. Forgive us. Because Lord knows I'm far from perfect. My prayer, if you've ever joined this church since I've been here, you know I say this all the time. I am going to make you mad. I'm going to frustrate you because I'm a human being. You're going to frustrate me. Promise. (laughs) Because you're human. I only ask that as for as often as I frustrate you and disappoint you, you pray for me and speak with me. Forgiveness is key to our life together so that we don't build and deepen our resentment across political lines, racial lines, ethnic lines. All these things create more and more systemic baggage that becomes more and more difficult to heal from. So we need a season of confession and a season of grace in order to live well into the next season together. Like, for example, and we'll learn about this all next month, did you know our Methodist church, did you know our our sisters and brothers that AME Church only exists because our Methodist church wouldn't allow black ministers to preach? That's the only reason. We were just so sure that only white people could speak on behalf of God that whole denominations were created because of faithful group of people trusted God more than the dude up front and thank God for it. We need to confess that. We need to heal from that. You know, part of the legacy of that is that in the United Methodist Church, 
in North Georgia Conference at least, 16% of our clergy are African American. 16%. That is not a lot. That is something for us to confess as a part of our systems and structures. And the only way that we can grow and to heal is to name it honestly and then trust God is calling us to a greater vision. You see how this works. Prayer, confession, these things move us towards transformation. So the only way for our society to be, to be transformed is if we're honest in our prayer life, in our confession story, and in our trust in what God is doing. Because every time I try to put my own impulses, my own thoughts, my own ideas ahead of God's, I, I will create a deeper divide. Not because I want to create a deeper divide, but because I get stuck in my own belief systems. I need to let go of it. I need to confess it. I need to hold what I believe with loose hands. And I need to trust that God is doing something bigger than me. That's what the Lord's Prayer teaches us. It's not my vision, but God's vision. It's not my resource. It's God's resource that I've been given stewardship over. It's not my life. It's our life being shared together. And the way that we can do that is by being honest about our shortcomings, clear in our intention to pursue the goodness of God, and consistent in relating to one another as siblings of Christ with God, giving us a new perspective. Do you see how, like, that's, that's the power of this prayer, that we pray every week, usually with a monotone voice, kind of bored to be in the middle of a liturgy after an hour-long service. That's the power of this prayer. It takes all of the weight of our circumstances off of my shoulders and puts them in our community shoulders, and our community is being supported by God who cleanses us of these things if we would just let God do it. That's the power of our conviction. That's the power of God's presence. That our thoughts and our prayers lead to action, not because they give me strength to do what I want to do, but because they give me clarity on what God would have me do. And with that clarity, I have strength that is not my own, but is God's. That's the power of this Lord's Prayer that we say every single week. It transforms me, it transforms our society, and it gives us hope in a week that is just absolutely chaotic. So when we pray the Lord's Prayer together, just before we celebrate and receive Holy Communion, being nourished by God's own presence in bread and grape juice, simple simple things. My prayer is that our hearts, too, would be transformed to be able to have hard conversations when they need to come, not because of my passion for them, but because of what God is doing in this world. That we wouldn't get lost in the cynicism of 21st century America, and that we would keep our eyes on something good that is changing things even now. May it be so in our lives. Amen. Thanks so much for listening to this week's sermon from North Decatur United Methodist Church. If you like this podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes. And if you want to learn more about our church, 
You can visit us at ndumc.org.